0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music
1: and more. How are you feeling today? Some studies have shown keeping track of your emotions can have some mental health benefits. And thanks to a new update, you can now do just that on your iPhone. But why does Apple want to know what mood you're in? Plus, the rapid rise of artificial intelligence has led to heavyweights of the tech world meeting with lawmakers in the US. What did they say about how AI should be regulated and how fast can it happen? Plus, a rise in shoplifting has led to more surveillance of customers in Coles. And NASA wants you to look for aliens. We tell you how. All this and much more coming up. This is your guide to the week in media, technology, and culture. My name is Ray Johnston, and welcome to Download This Show. It is a shiny new episode of Download This Show. I'm Ray Johnston. Mark Fennell will be back with you next week. And today I am joined by Dr. Jack Ryan, ABC's newest science and technology reporter. Welcome to Download This Show.
0: Thank you. First time caller, uh, long time listener.
1: <laughs> and we have Asha Barbashow, editor of Gizmodo Australia. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me back. Lovely to have you back. Now, the AI Safety Forum... It has held the first of its nine meetings. Asha, what was this meeting about and who was there? I hear it was a, a bit of a who's who of tech. Look, it sounds
2: like, what, what did you call it, Jack? You called uh, yeah, it? Yeah,
0: me and Asha were talking off. Yeah, I, it was probably the worst dinner party you could go to, in my opinion. <laughs> That's what I called it. But uh, uh, it was what? It was Bill Gates.
2: Yeah, so Microsoft, then also Bill Gates, OpenAI, so the ChatGPT daddy, Google, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, Motion Picture Association, researchers, human rights advocates, and a ton of US politicians. So the money and power and lack of personality in that room, my lord. (laughs) So Jack,
1: what were they all talking about exactly?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is really about regulation of artificial intelligence. And I think obviously, you know, um, most listeners would now be familiar with ChatGPT, MidJourney, Stable Diffusion, all of these kind of artificial intelligence programs. And there's a concern, a growing concern that we need to regulate artificial intelligence in some way. And so, it really comes down to, should the government do this? Should they regulate AI? And I think some of the reporting said that basically when they asked the question to this forum, the for- everyone inside was like, yes. And then they walked out of the forum and nothing had changed. They were just kind of like, we need, we need some regulation, but we don't really know what kind of regulation we need yet. And I think some of this comes down to the fact that artificial intelligence as an idea is still so nebulous. It's like, okay, we've got chat GPT, generative AI, but there's also AI that we'll talk about later, maybe that NASA's using or that is used in healthcare. And so this big nebulous idea of artificial intelligence is kind of uh, making it hard to say, what, how should we regulate?
2: But then there's also the fact, right, that each one of them has the same or similar goal. But when we talk about tech firms, they're not in this to be evangelists. They they have a bottom line. They they don't want to sort of level the playing field. They don't even want it to be easy for other entrants. They want to be the ones that are there at the top uh, in whatever manner that transpires into, I guess. But I can just imagine it being one big circle of people patting each other on the back and no one actually wanting to take sort of that ownership of deciding the, the outcome. But they they did sort of raise some things and it was interesting that the man that likes making decisions, Elon Musk, <laughs> he wanted a referee and that not, not just for his cage match, um, but he wanted some sort of body that makes
1: the call. I was going to say it is pretty unusual for the big tech barons to say, yes, please regulate us, make laws, restrict what we can do. What is actually in it for them?
0: Yeah, I mean... If you're in on the ground level and you're in there with the lawmakers at the start, maybe you just feel like you have a li- little bit more influence. Traditionally, I think these tech companies would just go ahead and do whatever they want to do, and then the lawmakers mm-hmm. come in later and go, wait, what? Wh- hey, what have you been doing for three and a half years? You've collected everyone's personal data. I think it is a little bit about getting ahead of that. I do think that some of these um, you know, tech bros really have some concerns. Like Musk can't stop talking about how AI will kill us all. And Sam Altman, who runs OpenAI, is sort of the same in that he's concerned that deployed incorrectly, this could be really damaging. So I think there are some real concerns. And then there are there is the idea that if we're here in the room with the lawmakers, we can influence this in the way that we want it to go. And uh, something like an independent referee, I mean, maybe makes sense. Can there be an independent body? Can you get in lawmakers' ears a bit better? It's like lobbying, right? So...
2: But if we've got a referee based in the US, they then represent the, I guess, US system, US people. That's not then the rest of the world as well. So do we then have that in every mm-hmm. sort of country or is this something that the UN takes on, but then that just covers UN countries? It's, it's Guardrails are important, but it's impossible to sort of mind map how regulation would work, especially when you have such... I guess, different companies all doing their own work in this space and look tech excels at a far bigger rate than regulation ever does.
1: There's been increasing pressure over the years for a lot of social media companies in particular, also Google with its search, to stop the spread of misinformation, deep fakes, that kind of thing, especially in the lead up to the elections in the US. Do you think that regulation around AI like this will help make it easier for these companies?
0: One of the interesting things is that Google has said already that it will watermark um, deepfake videos um, coming out around elections. Uh, I find this so weird, to be honest, because the idea of slapping on a disclaimer like a watermark over the top of a deepfake video, I think the damage is already done in some ways. Even if there's a disclaimer there, what does that actually mean for a user? What does that mean for people who aren't really exposed to this? Um, there was a recent video of like what the US would look like if Biden got in uh, another term and there's no disclaimer on that that that's deep fake AI video and that kind of brought about this Google ruling it's it's very difficult for me to see how just slapping disclaimers on this kind of stuff will actually stop the spread of misinformation misinformation is always going to spread it's about educating the user about that information and trying to I guess like debunk it but even that is a little bit of a nebulous (laughs) thing right so how do we actually do this I'm not I'm not sure but I just I'm especially around elections I'm super worried I Uh, I am concerned.
2: Yeah, I think we need to take a look back as well and just consider when we read an article, we as journalists look at the byline or we look at the masthead. That's not something that your average consumer does. So even that very small bit of verifying a masthead or verifying an author, uh, you know, you can't just assume that, that people do certain things. And so I think slapping a watermark that people might not know to look out for or people might not know is a watermark, I think we need to kind of take a step back a little bit more and... I don't know. Do you just block everything that's not good? No, you can't. (laughs) It's it's impossible.
1: So this was the first of nine meetings. Is it fair to say that regulation is not going to be implemented very rapidly?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's completely fair to say. Um, What are the guardrails? What do they look like? And do we need them? I think there's also like an emerging body of evidence now about should an AI be biased the idea of bias is obviously that you know in cases of race or gender or sexuality that an ai trained on certain data might give out certain outputs right but should an ai be trained to be biased in the right ways, and then what is the right ways? It's going to be very hard to regulate this stuff, especially generative AI, which has like sort of just exploded in the last you know year, as we know. Other artificial intelligence systems I'm not so worried about, but in, pl- in places like healthcare, I'm very concerned about what those guardrails look like. And even if guys like Elon, Sam Altman, Sunderpitcher, all these big tech dudes, if they're even concerned about that kind of AI, or if they're really concerned about how can we make a bit more money some generative stuff in our search engines, you know.
1: Download this show is what you're listening to. It's your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. And it's been a big week for Apple. It launched the new iPhone 15, the first iPhone with a USB-C cable, RIP lightning ports and all of those spare cables in our bottom drawers. Sales of the iPhone 12s were also halted over potential radiation emissions surpassing the legal limits. We saw that in France and then that was also reviewed in Germany and Belgium. And now a new update has dropped with a new feature that is raising some eyebrows. Jack, what's the new feature?
0: Uh, I love I love talking about Apple health features. Um, so basically, Apple's going to allow iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch users to essentially like journal to record how they feel. And so users will get this kind of uh, prompt. It's like a slider on the screen on, on your watch that allows them to tell Apple Health how they're feeling from very unpleasant to very pleasant. Um, (laughs) And before they label, like they can label their feelings and what sort of activities actually generated that kind of emotion as well. To me, it sounds a a little bit wild. you know. And now that I'm saying it out loud, it's even even more wild um, because I've done a little bit of research in the space of happiness and mood, right? And very recently, a research paper came out that was essentially saying you know all those studies that tell you to do this or that for making yourself happier? Um, there's not very good strong evidence that there are any of those strategies really work, except to say journaling and writing down your emotions potentially does. So Apple has kind of gone with, uh, I guess, maybe a sort of scientific approach here um, and the idea of actually putting in your feelings to your phone Um, in this what they're calling experience sampling, what scientists call experience sampling, it could be beneficial for maybe improving mood, at least understanding how you feel, and that has shown some benefits to happiness in the past. Um, Apple also says that all these features are, of course, uh, grounded in science, but they say it's built with privacy at its heart. And I think (laughs) that's the part where I yeah, I can hear Ashley laughing. I think that's (laughs) the part where I start going, hmm. Do I really want my phone to know how I'm feeling every day and what is that data going to be used for?
1: Yeah, what's the vested interest here? What does Apple have to gain about knowing how we're feeling, Asha? I can't help but be
2: cynical as I stare at the sliding scale on my health app that says choose how you're feeling right now and my options are very unpleasant, very pleasant. I'm going to just hit neutral um, and then, then oh, ask no, me no, to, yeah.
0: Why not pleasant? Is this not going well? Is this interview going terribly?
2: No, this is fine. I just don't want to give <laughs> Apple correct information. <laughs> I want you, to kind you. of skew it data. up. I love doing that. From a user perspective, helpful, like you said, similar to journaling, but... I can't help but be cynical, right? So what it was BusinessWire that put out a report that said the emotion detection and recognition industry, I think it's called, is projected to be worth $56 billion. US dollars by 2024. So having data on people's moods, because then you can, I guess, tailor advertising based on the time of day that they have said that they are happy or time of day that they have said that they are feeling sad or chances are that they might want to, I don't know, order Uber Eats at a specific time because they're wanting to comfort eat. There's, there's all of that attached to it as well. Um But then there's also the issue of who has access to that data. Obviously, Apple, yes, and then Apple's partners, third parties, etc. But then could that data then be accessed by the wrong kinds of people? So, for example, your health insurance to then know that you had pre-existing indicators of a certain perhaps mental health concerns that then would then come back and, I guess, bite you in the butt after that for for letting somebody know or being weaponized by a future employer. That stuff is is the part that really gives me the ick over this.
1: It does feel like one of the risks is we're softening ourselves to exposing more about our personal lives to apps, to tech companies. And yes, Apple might say, you know, we just keep this amongst ourselves. It's really just for you to use so that you can track it, have these positive benefits. But what's to say we won't then download another app that tracks our feelings and we're we're used to giving that sort of information away. What are the big risks at the end of the day?
0: The thing that really bothers me about this kind of thing, and it's it's a big tech problem overall, is that we often get these features or apps or ideas rolled out. And they claim to be backed by science. And as I said at the top, this may be backed by some science. Apple hasn't gone out and conducted a, a study using this specific app to see if it improves mood, to see if it generates any sort of change in well-being, if people are concerned about things like data privacy or, or security. And I think the risks are that you're kind of getting at it, right? I think is that this ingrains the idea of these apps just being able to take the data and it's not really going to be that big of a deal Um, we can say we're privacy focused, we can say that the app draws on science and then just accept it, it's on your phone now you you know, if you want to use it, use it if you don't, don't, but there's not enough I guess sort of explanation to the users and the consumers about like what exactly is going on here and what's going on under the hood and if they say okay we're not going to collect it or send it to third parties what does that actually mean where does the line where do they draw the line i mean we saw it this week with a huge video game engine company unity basically changing their terms of service like retroactively and doing that all the users that were using it were like hold on you used to say this and now all my data's going here. This doesn't make any sense. And that's what I worry about with big tech.
2: It comes down to return on investment. I give my data for something that I know that I will get more out of or at least feel like I get more out of than, than the people taking my data. But to just hand it over, I think we've got to, we've got to be a bit more cautious of, of just doing that. And...
1: So I'm guessing you're not going to use this, Asha? No. Well, you use <laughs> it, right? Look, I kind of like the idea of being served ads for ice cream when I'm feeling a bit down. (laughs) I have been a big tracker of my data, my moods, everything Mm. forever. I used to do it manually with a Piece of paper and a and a pen. So uh, look, I will hand over my data. I, I will do it for the good of everyone and report back on and, it.
0: And, and from an anecdotal perspective, is that helpful for you? Like you do it because it's helpful for you, right? I do. Yeah, I do so it because I, I it's helpful. I think that's the thing. I don't want to. I don't want to kibosh the science under underlying this kind of app. But um, yeah, I always get a little bit concerned when the apps are rolled out and we don't have like a really good understanding of perhaps what that data is going to be used for? And also, is it actually useful for audiences?
1: I'll report back on my <laughs> anecdotal study of one person. Thank you, Ray. You are listening to Download This Show. I'm Ray Johnston, and I am joined by Dr. Jack Ryan, ABC's science and technology reporter, and Asha Barbashow, editor of Gizmodo Australia. And next time you head into your local Coles, you might see some changes. Asha, what is Coles introducing exactly?
2: I got really mad at this initially, <laughs> right? Like, it was the first time in a while that I wrote something. I had to then take a break before editing it. Ooh. The news is that Coles was trialling body-worn cameras for staff, with the idea being for staff safety. And absolutely no staff anywhere should cop abuse or be threatened or feel unsafe. It, you can't help but shake the underlying feeling that this is just, just an instance of profiling. And where they're rolling out these body body worn cameras, and this just leaves a sour taste in your mouth when the cost of living is just absolutely disgusting. And they're saying this is to curb shoplifting.
1: So that's the justification here. The they've got Coles employees wearing body cams, like you know, law enforcement would. Mm. And it's to stop shoplifting. Is that is that what they're saying here, Jackson? So
0: Coles is introducing, of course, these body cams and there's also a technology that will track customers as they come into the store, as they pull products off the shelf and then when they go through the self-serve checkouts. As I'm sure many listeners will know, these self-serve checkouts came in as sort of a techno fix. Some jobs were lost, obviously. Cashiers were, were lost. And then now we need tech to kind of fix that, right? We need tech to be looking at us as we scan our items. And there's also some other tech that I was reading about uh like, fog machines to deter thieves when they break what? in. Yeah, so presumably thieves and, and people that go to raves have, a like, a large crossover and <laughs>
1: <are> they, they're <laughs> going to like cr- dance. Are
0: they going <laughs> to... Some like,
1: laser lights yeah, going like, in the Yeah, okay, let's just stay here.
0: This is a real cool... Um, but yeah, I'm, I feel a little bit icky about this as well. Um, Woolworths has been doing this for a little while. Um, this technology to check what people are doing as they move through the supermarket has been around for a while. And as you said uh, at the top there, Ray and Asha, I mean, they're doing this mostly in response to thievery, that's what they say. The stat is something like there's been a 20% rise in stock loss um, year on year, and that's costing retailers something like $9 billion. It's very hard, I think, for consumers, probably listeners of this podcast, to feel too bad Mm. for a company like Coles or Woolworths, which are making billions of dollars a year in profit.
2: Last year, good guys, Bunnings, they came under fire for collecting biometric data without... Customers' knowledge and and the Privacy Commissioner is still sort of mulling over the extent to which these interfered or were contrary to Australian privacy law, and I, I'm unsure that they've announced any sort of investigation as yet. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, the that's the Privacy Commissioner into the likes of Woolworths and Coles using this, but there has to sort of be that element of there. There is a different set of rules for the for the police force and for a supermarket, which is. Know, a company using body worn cameras, you, you you sort of understand why cops would need to, but and we've been covering tech for a very long time between us. I think about a point where my response is you seem to be expecting a lot from technology that it simply can't deliver or mm-hmm. without actually understanding its limitations before putting it out into the world. And I consider this to be an ex- a very good example of that.
1: Obviously, the rise in shoplifting would be linked to the rising cost of living. So without addressing the underlying social issues that are causing this in the first place, how effective is more technology being introduced to fix a problem that is created not only by society, but also by previous technology that's implemented? It kind of feels like we're going in the wrong direction here.
0: Yeah. I mean, and so I'm very obviously sympathetic to consumers and customers of these places, who also just don't want to be surveilled while they're shopping. Like, uh, I think that's a fairly benign feeling to have. Uh, I I don't want to be surveilled. And, I mean, people can't see me, but I'm a straight white dude. Like, I'm probably the least likely to be surveilled in this environment (laughs) as well. And I think, you know, even for me, I'm like, I don't want to be surveilled. So, yeah, it's kind of what Asha said. It's like we're going to try and fix things with more technology It's the old tech conundrum and it's kind of like we put in these self-serve checkouts and thought, I mean, did we think, did they think that everything was going to be fine, that people wouldn't try and find a way around (laughs) scanning things? I'm very confused about what their um, ideas were before this was implemented. And I mean, I love a self-serve checkout, to be frank. Like I would buy maybe what, six blocks of caramel or something like that. I don't want people to see that. (laughs) <laughs> but, but I do scan them through as caramel blocks. Um, so someone's collecting that data somewhere. The, the, the tech issue for me and I think for a lot of con- consumers and customers is that people are a little bit worried about, especially at checkouts, where they're being filmed uh, and they can see themselves being filmed and what happens to that data and why they're being filmed there. And I don't think there's ever been a real good explanation from either Coles or Woolworths, about, like, what this data is for and where it's going and how long it lasts for, they kind of just say, look, we don't keep it. So, yeah, um, is there something, like, that tech can fix this issue? I'm not sure. I think we have to address the underlying underlying social issues here before, if, if they want to arrest this sort of stock loss percentage, I think that's the key.
2: I think also, you know, it simply comes down to, in part, the fact that the people making these decisions don't understand what it's like to not only live paycheck to paycheck, but also having $5
1: in your bank account and needing to find a meal. Yep. They've never had to walk down the aisles with a calculator and a list and put things back on the shelf when that number goes over. Mm. Download this show is what you're listening to. It's your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. And NASA's much-awaited report into alien life is here. Jack, what did NASA find?
0: Absolutely nothing. That's, that's, <laughs> the, that's the takeaway. And actually that's what Bill Nelson, the administrator for NASA, said when they released this report on uh, last, sometime last week on Friday, I believe, for us. He basically said the top takeaway is that there's a lot more to learn. So for the uninitiated in the UFO space, one, what are you doing? Get involved. But two, um, UFOs are now known as uh, UAPs or Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. It's kind of because a lot of these reports are coming via the military and the military are a little bit concerned that there's negative connotations of reporting. On UFOs or UAPs and so NASA had commissioned a a panel of experts to basically look through the data and say what have we found like are these UFOs extraterrestrial what are these things why are people seeing them why are we seeing them so much and as I said at the top they found nothing they basically found a lot of balloons a lot of drones a lot of planes but nothing that would uh, suggest the evidence for alien life having reached this planet.
1: There's never been a shortage of people reporting UFOs, though. So what role could citizen science play here, Asha? Would that be reliable?
2: Oh, I would just love to play around with the camera feature on my phone and just take photos of my cats and pretend that they're, you know, giant panthers roaming around (laughs) in the wild. And I just I think that, uh, you know, we've obviously had less reports in recent times or that, that have been mainstream than we did when we were sort of younger, when camera tech and tech in general just wasn't there. I think a lot of it can be explained by just faults or you know bad quality cameras, etc. But I, d- I don't think that there's a, there's a place for citizen citizen journalists here or citizen cops here. Honestly, like <laughs> le- let's leave it to the experts to so we don't kind of spark fear, but. Jackson, I really want to know. Oh, here we go. As someone who has been covering this space for a very long time, (laughs) are there aliens out there? What do you
0: think? That's not not even a, a, I think, a controversial question to be honest, Asha, because (laughs) our universe is so big, with so many galaxies, so so many stars, so many planets,
1: larger than we can comprehend. It's,
0: it's not even we can't comprehend it in some ways, right? So, the fact that we think perhaps we're the only species the only intelligent life that has ever existed in 13 billion years, says to me that maybe we're a little bit self-centred, first of all. A little bit arrogant. I am, um, (laughs) definitely. But uh, I think, yeah, it's one of those things where you've got to look at just the statistics, the raw statistics say aliens are probably out there. Now, are they out there at this moment in time? Maybe less so. Are they able to travel vast distances across space and time to reach, for some reason, just a lot of military bases and not anywhere else on Earth? Probably not.
1: One of the interesting things that NASA is looking to do going forward with their research is use AI when identifying UIPs, and that makes sense because it's used elsewhere to look for specific things in images. So, how exactly is NASA looking to use it in this case?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of different ways. So you can look back to um, a program, and it comes into the citizen science thing a little bit. A program that NASA had for um, research on Mars, right? So the Perseverance rover. Um, obviously sees a lot of rocks. And what NASA did is they got citizen scientists to basically classify different rock types, what those rocks look like. And from that, they were able to, say, upload the instructions to Perseverance to be like, if you see a rock that looks like this, zap it. And if you see one that looks like this, you can ignore that. And that's just from, like, hours and hours of human um, intervention saying, like, this is what looks like a rock and this doesn't. Apply the same logic here. Say we have thousands of sightings and humans are like, okay, that sighting was definitely a plane. You start training the AI model to be like, recognise that that's a plane. And so now we don't have to worry about filtering through like thousands and thousands of, you know, iPhone entries.
2: But also something worth noting is that at the very, very base, at the, the, the core of any machine learning AI system is, to, to use cat as an example, it's cat or not cat. So you have to have an example of what cat is to show what not cat is. And if we don't have an example of what UAP is to show what not UAP is, how do we then classify what UAP is?
0: No, this is this is great because the whole point would be that we can't classify and then those ones are the ones that we go to study further. And so I think that the the science behind it is, is sound and it's great that we're trying to analyse this in a scientific way. Um, do I think that, that it will eventually reveal aliens have visited us? Of course not. I mean, I know know it's sad to hear. and uh, I have a few UFOologists in my life, and last week I actually wrote about these Mexican aliens. I don't know if you guys saw. Mm. It was basically a paper mache doll. Of course it was. Um, And uh, I spoke to one of the researchers who was affiliated uh, via the university with this uh, Mexican alien, and she basically said to me, this is ridiculous. And the one thing that stood out was she said, okay, so he got these aliens from Peru. How did he get them back to Mexico through customs? And that, <laughs> that really stood out to me. If we're going to, if we find alien bodies, how do we get them through customs? That's a question you should always ask.
1: The questions that we are raising here on Download This Show, and unfortunately, that is all that we have time for. Big thank you to Dr. Jack Ryan, ABC Science and Technology Reporter. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thanks, Ray, and a big thank you to Asha Babashow, editor of Gizmodo Australia. Thank you for having me. Now remember to follow Download This Show on the. ABC Listen app so that you never miss an episode. I'm Ray Johnston and thanks for listening to another episode of Download This Show.